Welcome to Fast Fiction. Lot 229. We could always leave it. The young couple looked at the it, a small but sturdy wooden kitchen table, totally out of date in a new millennium kitchen. Drew looked at his wife for confirmation, but she shook her head. No, no, it could be useful for my pottery. It's in far better condition than the one I've got now. Lisa watched her husband's face droop as he contemplated trying to get the table into the station wagon along with the other auction purchases. They had bid for the pile of kitchenware listed under Lot 229 and got it for an excellent price. It was only at the end of the auction that they had realised the table was part of the lot number. Drew's reluctance to move the table was intensified when it proved just a little too large for the station wagon and he had to return later in the afternoon with ropes and canopies to put it on the roof rack. You know, I'm not even sure it's going to fit. He puffed as he hauled the table into the enclosed part of the veranda. Lisa happily called her studio. It will fit, said Lisa confidently, and pushed a little harder. The table did indeed fit, just in between the pottery wheel and the water heater. Being a young mother of two and a part-time clerk, Lisa did not have much time for hobbies, so it was almost a month later when she discovered the letters. It was a wet weekend, allowing little opportunity to even consider doing the washing, let alone get out into the garden, whereas it was perfect weather for working with clay. Although keen to start wedging ready for wheel work, Lisa decided to use the first hour or so clearing and tidying up the small studio which often got used as a dump area. Gathering together the small implements and tools used for crafting the greenware, she put them back into the old biscuit tin used for storage. Then, as a further precaution against loss, or use by the children, she decided to put the tin in the table drawer. It almost fit, but not quite. She pushed the tin from every angle, but without success. There just seemed to be something lodged at the back. Wriggling the drawer completely free from its encasement, Lisa inserted her hand and felt around. Her fingers came into contact with paper which was difficult to dislodge. She had to work it slowly backwards and forwards until with a sense of success she felt it fall into her hands. The paper package turned out to be a stack of blue envelopes smaller than those considered acceptable by the postal authorities nowadays, each one with its letter intact. The smooth vellum was similar to the Basil and Bond stationery her grandmother had used when writing to Lisa at boarding school, and while she could not be certain, the ink seemed to be from an old-fashioned fountain pen. The envelopes carried foreign stamps, postmarked throughout the early part of 1942 and 1944. One definitely looked like turkey. With all thoughts of pottery forgotten, Lisa took the package, about half a dozen in all, to a comfortable armchair set in what was normally a sunny nook of the open veranda. She withdrew the letters, written in a neat, concise hand. They were written over a period of two years. Lisa began to read. 
Later that night, she confided some of the contents to Drew. It's so sad, Drew. They were all letters addressed to a Mrs. Edith Tunney of Cotslow Street. That's the house where the auction was held a few years back and where the block of flats stand now. That's right. And the house effects all got sold to a private bidder. I remember that, said Drew, abstractedly trying once more to get into his James Patterson novel. Well, they were all signed Albert, Lisa went on, which I guess was her husband. They were letters he sent to her from the army. The last one when he was in Gallipoli. Ah, oh, so they must be over what? Nearly 80 years old. Hmm. Why not give them to the local history association? Yes, Lisa was noncommittal. Actually, I thought of trying to find out if there were any children and, and well, passing them on. Are you serious? Drew's response was explosive. That would just be meddling. Meddling with history. Lisa nodded. Yes, I thought of that too, but, but really, Drew, there's nothing nasty in the letters. Well, not really. Just everyday stuff like how much Albert missed his wife and how thrilled he was when he heard a baby was on the way and how he got on with his mates. Yes, and other stuff like what life was really like in the front, how scared he was to go into battle and what it sounded like down in the trenches. She had faltered a little, tears in her eyes. You know, Drew, he was right to be scared. He died just two weeks after the date of the last letter. The poignancy of the fear experienced by a man nearly 80 years dead had suddenly hit her. How do you know? I checked his name against the mother's memorial. So, what are you going to do? Drew looked at his wife directly, all thoughts of his novel forgotten. I'm... I'm not sure. I'll think about it. The next day was Sunday, and it was still raining. As soon as the kids had finished breakfast, Lisa took down the local telephone book and checked out the teas. There was only one tunny listed, Geoffrey A. and Millie. Lisa dialed the number, glad to find they were still on a landline. The receiver was picked up almost immediately, and a deep, resonant voice announced Geoffrey Tunney was speaking. Accordingly, Lisa introduced herself, then asked for confirmation that Geoffrey's parents had been Edith and Albert of Cottesloe Street. They were. By now, Geoffrey's voice showed he was both curious and a little suspicious. He listened quietly as she explained the reason for her call. When she had done, his voice faltered like hers, but it was warm and excited. What an incredible find. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you've taken the time to ring me. You see, I never met my father. He died before I was born. Mum never got over his death and never liked to talk about him. Indeed, sometimes I even wondered if I was illegitimate or even adopted. Just to have something personal like this will make all the difference to me. He was quiet for a moment before adding, And maybe give my grandkids some idea of how lucky they are. A couple of the age of Albert when he died. Lisa found herself smiling when she put the telephone down. She noticed it was still raining, not a suitable day to do the washing or work in the garden. She walked out back to her pottery room and lifted a chunk of clay onto the table. Moisture in the air meant it was a great day for pottery. And she may as well do it now because as soon as the weather cleared, she wanted to post some letters. 
She thought about this as she kneaded the clay. She would have to look for a large envelope and a stamp, which in all honesty she didn't think she possessed. So maybe she would take up Geoffrey's suggestion and deliver them personally. But before that, she just may sit down with the kids and share a few of the letters with them. It wouldn't hurt if they knew the personal sacrifices of war too. She could faintly hear the internet games they were playing, with the intermittent sounds of laser guns vaporising aliens. She put the clay aside, covered it with a damp cloth, and wiping her hands went into the kitchen, calling the children for lunch. Kids! Lunch! Their voices indicated reluctance to give up the game. So she called again, a little more sternly. Kids! Lunch! Kitchen! Now! She picked up the letters. Yes, a little taste of reality would not go amiss. It wouldn't hurt for them to learn what real guns could do. You have been listening to Lot 229. Written and read by Brianda Cross and John Cross. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to hear more of our fast fiction podcasts, please go to our website, fastfictionpodcasts.com. Oh, and if you have a spare moment, please give us a tick or a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you again.